0: Welcome to Greenlit, the Buffalo 8 podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Halderman, and each week we're going to dive into a different piece of content, film and television, and we're going to talk with some of the biggest names in front of and behind the camera as we dive deep into how they were financed, produced, developed, marketed, and the crazy stories behind how many of them got made. Welcome back to Greenlit. On today's episode, we're chatting with casting director Jessica Kelly. Jessica is one of the most well-known casting directors working in the business today. From projects like Assassination Nation, to Precious, to Euphoria, her name is synonymous with quality content and director-driven projects. In this conversation, we explore how Jessica and her partners select the projects they get involved with, what draws them to material, and how they're seemingly able to decide on projects that end up becoming part of the zeitgeist before any cameras even turn on. Jessica's story is unique, coming from an acting background, working her way through casting departments, and now casting what I would consider one of the most well-regarded shows in the last several years, HBO's Euphoria. Enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with casting director Jessica Kelly as we talk about HBO's Euphoria. Welcome back to Greenlit. Today I'm chatting with casting director Jessica Kelly. Thanks for taking the time, Jessica. Of course. (laughs) So you've worked on some amazing projects and we're gonna touch on a number of them and I'll do just a really quick laundry list of them which is an amazing thing to hear out loud. Uh, Precious in 2009, Assassination Nation, Hereditary, Midsommar, John Wick, and Euphoria. And before we dive into a specific project, I'll set the table a little bit and say that we worked on a film together a number of years ago called As You Are, which was at Sundance in 2016. And I remember then coming to think of you as really the sort of hip, edgy, really cool casting director who worked on these sort of very interesting director-driven stories. And I want to dive into that as well. But maybe this is a good segue to frame this discussion on Euphoria, which is kind of the project like that of this moment, super edgy, so controversially interesting, amazing characters. And from a casting perspective, I have to imagine it's just been an awesome ride with that ensemble. So I'll turn it over to you to say, not necessarily how was it greenlit, but the process of coming to that project and casting that project. What was that like on Euphoria?
1: Well, I think the best part about Euphoria and also As You Are um, was the the freedom to cast whoever we wanted. There was no need for a famous name. Like, yes, it wound up being Zendaya, but there was never a mandate. Um, It was always an opening of finding the right people for the parts um, and a real search looking nationwide uh, for all all the roles. So we got to really discover people and put them together and and see how it would work. And so it was, it's always a nice thing when something comes to you and it's financed and there's no mandate to um, get a name.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. I
1: think 80% of the things um, have that sort of like first and second lead requirement to have some sort of recognizability um, to get it financed. So it's a very rare and beautiful thing. And I think some of my best movies um, have been the ones without the names.
0: Right. And so you worked with the same director on Assassination Nation. Yes. Was he developing euphoria then? Did you know, had you spoken about it at all? And how did that come about?
1: He had mentioned it in some of the um, auditions that we were doing in Assassination Nation, um, but very lightly. Like I just sort of heard like HBO and I was like, oh, I hope I can work with HBO because they do such great stuff. Um, And uh, so that's how I had first sort of heard about it and then, um, and then from like the first moment of reading the scripts, I was like, I can't believe I get to be a part of this exciting endeavor.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So was Zendaya, which was, was she early on locked or were you casting other people? And then she was an addition throughout the, pro- later on in the process.
1: It was definitely just part of the process. Um, we read everybody for all the roles all at the same time. And, certain um people started falling into place but uh sam met zendaya and that was sort of it
0: yeah yeah no it's an exciting show for sure did you know yeah i mean i'm sure there were there were things like screen tests and so on but the ensemble and the way that they mesh together as a cast and the way that the story melds together is so so critical i'd say more than a lot of content in Euphoria, particularly, especially the way the story weaves back into itself so many times, were there a lot of screen tests during casting? How, how, how was that sort of evolving?
1: Definitely. So I, I collaborated with my very good friend um, and also a mentor, Mary Vernue, um, and also um, the casting director, Jennifer Venditti, who... Um, is based in New York, uh, and has done a lot of amazing searches. Uh, And so we all kind of worked all the different angles of agents and real people. And um, then ultimately, Sam and Augustine, who directed the pilot, uh, we all got together and did many different mix and matches, chemistry reads. um, But there were certain ones like Jacob Elordi, who plays Nate, there kind of wasn't any competition. So it was basically him. And then we read everybody around his sort of center storyline. Um, and then others, you know, there was definitely some competitive reads and we presented them all to HBO and it was a very like collective collaborative, um, experience deciding. Mm. I think it really worked. I think everybody was really perfectly, um, matched with their character. For
0: sure. Yeah, for sure. How much of that, like you said, you 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 had read the script and were immediately drawn to it. I, I can't help but notice a lot of the projects you've worked on, the source material and how director driven they are has to be a, a big piece of what attracts you to them and the way you've sort of built your brand as a casting director and the kind of projects you get involved with how fleshed out was Euphoria at the script stage versus how much of it was brought in from ultimately the individuals you guys cast in terms of the organic contribution from talent versus what was already on the, the raw page?
1: I mean, I think, um, and cause you keep saying director driven, I think that's exactly it. Like we all, you know, in all of my projects, I always listen to the director talk about, uh, what, he or she sees in these roles and it just sort of starts to paint a picture for me. And then I kind of take that and try to make it happen in real life. <laughs> right. people. Um, and so I think anytime hearing Sam talk about the characters and the more we read, um, just the vision became very clear. So then we were able to see when people came in if they matched that vision. And I do think um, also Sam is amazing at taking somebody really interesting and writing for them. Like, for example, the role of Lexi, which is played by Maude Apatow. Um, he had met Maude during the Assassination Nation process. And I think in his mind, when he was writing the Lexi character, it was always Maude in his mind. Um, so it definitely can be a twofold situation where you meet somebody and you know exactly how to write for them because who just they are is so interesting. But I do think the parameters of the characters were very clear. So it was easy to know if somebody was right or not. Right,
0: right. I want to shift gears a little bit to working with HBO and you had, had made the comment that it's always great when something comes to you and it's, it's fully financed and ready to go. And you know that HBO being behind it is a, is a huge anchor. What was the process like with HBO? This show is, you know, by all accounts, it's, it's really boundary pushing in so many ways, everything from storylines to the characters to even the, the filmmaking style. How supportive was, were, were they during the process? You know, were there any challenges? Um, and ultimately, were there, was there any pushback on some of the characters and, and how it ended up coming together?
1: No, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's not a very interesting story, but they were amazing. They never pushed back. They were so excited. And I think they also saw what the show could be. Um, so they, you know... It was very little. I've worked on a lot of television shows and there's been a lot of struggles along the way, but this one was not one where it was hard to convince. I think they really believed in the vision
0: of the show. Right. And ultimately, I think that goes to your point about being excited about wanting to work with HBO because they've been behind the things that they greenlight and they're willing to take that sort of creative dive on these things.
1: And Euphoria is also... A24, which I've done a ton of A24 movies, um, thankfully, excitingly, (laughs) Um, and they are extremely director-driven and support. If the director wants somebody, you know, they, they believe in the director's vision and they say, okay.
0: Let's shift gears a little bit to, to A24. Um, I remember meeting those guys when they were in a tiny little place, I think in Chelsea or in the meatpacking district. And it was a tiny little space. And I think they actually had more interns then than they did staff. And it was like the spring breakers era of A24. And obviously, what they've become is so uh, incredibly moment defining in terms of what it means to sort of be a an independent film company at this at this point um walk us through sort of starting the process working with them i I actually don't know the answer in terms of what was the first project i know some projects you've worked on with them but would love to hear you know working with with the guys over there and and their team especially as it's grown into what it's grown into
1: yes i mean i think in the earlier days they were more like buying distributing like obvious child was early i didn't really have any interaction with them and then um slowly as the years went on they became more of an actual production company um and were very hands-on especially in in these later years midsommar um false positive uh After Yang, which is not out yet, it's by this director Koganata, who is amazing. Um, So it's been a it's been a process with them. I think they you know also started to see that we do the movies that um, align with their kind of tastes too. So um, and now it's become more of a creative collaboration um, with them when, when casting. But I think they're really you know good at at believing in the same way that they believe in director's talents. They, they believe in, in our talents as well.
0: Right. Right. You mentioned right before we had hit record, you and I were sort of catching up on whether you were in New York or or LA. Uh, A24 has always seemed pretty anchored in LA. I know they have offices here and, and some of the business units are here. Are you usually dealing with them in New York and how much it feels very much that their sensibilities had sort of been New York formed, if that makes sense, in terms of their brand and the aesthetic and the films they've chosen and even just their outward messaging. Um, curious about the difference that you see, I guess it's a two-part question, LA and New York, how that's changed over the years in terms of independent film and also now the sort of renaissance of TV, but then also working with A24 as they've expanded now to be on both sides of the country.
1: Yes. Yeah, I guess we kind of all all expanded at the same time. Um, Definitely in the beginning. I mean, I was New York based for 15 years um, and, uh, you know, about two years ago, moved. You know, I still have a place in Williamsburg at the moment. But I think after COVID that might be (laughs) going. But moved here to start working on Euphoria. Uh, But I I always think of them as New York based. Um, And so and also just the the types of movies that they they do and the directors that they're drawn to. I think a lot of probably the reason why I worked with them is because a lot of their movies do shoot in New York. Um, But my office is still in New York. Um, and run by my business partner, Rebecca Daly, um, who I work with all the time on all of these movies. So we still keep a stake in New York talent because I think it's a big reason why the movies are so good. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Have I you s- struggled first coming to LA, not to say that there's, you know, Better or worse actors anywhere, but just when you don't know, um, you know you can be led down many different rabbit holes. And there's way more actors here, so it takes a it's a longer learning curve to figure out really just the day players figuring out who would do one line in this. Um, and so that's been a learning curve. But New York, you know, when you cast there for 15 years, you know you, you have a pretty good understanding of everybody, but.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I want to go to something you said uh, offhand, but I think it's a good segue about the majority of projects coming. Yeah, uh, to I think to all of us, you know, on the producing side, on the financing side, the casting side, it comes early stage, and there's a lot of legwork to be done before it actually is financed and greenlit oftentimes that all comes down to can producers and casting director attach a name that's going to ultimately trigger the rest of the film falling into place. Just why I'm so curious on, you know, if there are specific stories or even just a broad overview on that process, as it relates to the pressure that's ultimately put on the casting director and the sort of lead producer that are running that, that point Uh, And has that changed at all over the years? Has it become, to me, at least, I'll say from our side, it feels like it's become almost a necessity unless someone on a financing side is willing to take just a huge upfront risk. The talent attachment or multiple attachments are necessary to have any traction or momentum with getting a project made. And I know so much of it ends up coming down to the producer saying, well, can can we get a casting director who has some miracle direct relationship with you know, the the right cast member or his best friends with the with the agent or manager. I imagine you get those uh, urgent calls constantly, but I'm curious on any specifics as, as well as just how important that is or, or has been over the years.
1: Well, I think it's become more important and it's also become more challenging because there's so many more movies being made on small scales um, than there was when I first started casting. Um, Just really like anybody could pull out a camera and start making a movie, you know? Um, And so now there's all of that competition of scripts out there. um, And then to get, you know, an agent to pay attention when there are so many for them to wrap their mind around. um, I have to be extremely judicious in, what I pick, um, so that the agents know when I'm calling them that I really do believe that it's special and it's something to um, really pay attention to and maybe put their, you know, client in. So I feel like that's sort of been my like process throughout, and I think why so many of our movies go to Sundance is because we we kind of look at it as. Uh, yes, for the script, but also, you know, does the director have something new about them, some creative, you know, vision? Right. That's why, like, Miles had never really done anything before, but it was the script with Miles um, putting that together, then, you know, I think it can inspire the rest of the story and it got Descendants, you know, without anybody famous or... Um, you know, having all these connections to, you know, fancy producers or something. Um, But yes, most of the time it is, you know, we're on the phone calling and using all the relationships that we've built over the past 15 years just to get them to read the script. And then just sort of an instinct about where actors are in their career. Um, Like this comedian's never done anything like this before you know, and they have some sort of, quote unquote, value, um, which actually I actually hate that term because I think everybody has value. <laughs> but, um, you know, kind of like trying to piece together who might do it, but who's also creatively right or who might be exciting and new. We haven't seen them do it before. Um, but always the end game is that it's an exciting name enough for a financier. And then there's all these other types of financiers. There's the ones that believe just in the story and the director, and they don't care as much about the name. And then there are ones that, you know, are people with wealthy backgrounds who only know famous people in their head. So that's what they're <laughs> expecting to have happen. Um, but normally if I'm approached with, um, I need you to get me like famous people, I, I, it's, it's a very hard thing to promise. It's mm. like, just do your best. You use your intuition of who might be interested. And so much of it has to do with, um, agent relationships over the years, you know, the ones that really take your call, pay attention, you know, know the kind of work that we've done, um, And so they trust that they're not going to put their client in something that isn't of value.
0: Right. I think it's a good segue to you've worked on independence, some studio projects, and a lot of television. Mm -hmm. The difference between those mediums in terms of process and then also how they've changed over the last 15 years of your career, because all of them, like you've said, you just mentioned, and the number of independent films being made has just skyrocketed. Television has become so cinematic. Studio films, fewer and farther between, but bigger budgets than ever. How has that impacted the way you guys approach them and and also go through your process?
1: Yeah, I think it's all about, you know, we are in some ways, you know, the ones selling the movie. in the first round, so if we know we have a studio behind us or a network behind us, um, a lot of that speaks for itself, and it helps attract um, larger named actors. Uh, just you know, depending on what it is. Um, But with an independent, there's nothing but our word going out there about this director. And maybe the director's had shorts before or a movie before. um, But when it's a complete independent, um, they're just going on, you know, our inspiration about casting the movie. Um, So I think definitely like what it immediately attracts actor-wise is a big uh, difference. But it has been fun at least to see all this high quality television that feel like movies um Mm -hmm. it really feels like you can actually um take your time with it you know the material and think about you know what tells the most interesting story rather than these sort of formulaic um shows of like the old network life, right. you know? Um, so that's been exciting because it just feels like it, television is now an art form <laughs> versus yeah. when I started. Um, and so it then, but you know, the pace is obviously very different on television. Um, you only have, you know, maximum two weeks to cast each episode uh versus a film which is you know minimum usually 10 weeks to cast sometimes if you're brought on like early to try to get names that can be three months of trying to get people to read the scripts so there is like a timing pressure difference between film and tv that we feel um but uh at least yes now i I like how it's sort of melting and in in the in the art form that it's becoming,
0: for sure. No, it's it's. I, I totally agree. It feels like uh, we're we're living in about as golden era of television as you can. Um, I, I wanna I wanna shift complete gears. As as you've been talking, you know, it's it's very clear how much you love the craft of, of casting and, and the uh, mm-hmm. the critical role that it plays in sort of bringing these these words on a page to life for for the audience what drew you to casting how did, how did you come to it what was that uh, that story for for you in terms of becoming a casting director and then yeah. building a, a pretty robust career in it
1: well i think i got really lucky i think you know my very good my first mentor um was my acting teacher when i was 12 and Around 12, 13, she told me what a casting director did, and I decided then that that's what I was going to be. <laughs> and I think um, it's because I love imagining. I really love like thinking about what something could be in the future. Um, and also, I really am very curious about who people are. So it's kind of the marriage of what I see in my imagination. And then when I have the actor in front of me, seeing their potential, seeing their background, seeing their history and how, you know, if they can bring that to what, you know, the pictures I have in in my head. Um, So, the reason why I'm so lucky is that I knew so early, you know, it's a very rare thing, I think, to know exactly what you want to do so that by the time I was 18, I could start interning in casting offices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had such a head start um, when, uh, when a lot of people don't get that. A lot of people, at least when I was, you know, 18, didn't even really know what a casting director was. I mean, the only reason why I studied acting was because I didn't know what else to study. Um, which was also beneficial, but, um, so yeah, I started interning and I've done every type of casting, commercial, non-union commercial, a lot of musical theater, um, you know, very off, off Broadway theater, like, all uh, whatever job I could get or do, um, which were all like pretty small and hard and not very good. Uh, But Mm. eventually I had enough of a resume to start working in in film, um, which is where I always knew I should be. Like just my um, instincts and sensibility are very natural and very real and um, very human and up close uh, versus you know, whether somebody can dance well or hit that note, you know, in musicals. Um, so I was lucky enough to bring that experience to my first, um, you know, assistant job. And then it went from there.
0: That's a perfect, you're, you're literally leading me like, as if we scripted this into, <laughs> in, 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 into, into, Precious, right? Precious, I believe is the first, it might actually be the first film you have the lead casting director role and title credit on and obviously that film is a very big deal for a lot of reasons curious on that project and you've given us sort of the the uh the 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 preface on it and now this the story of of that project had to be a huge game changer for you
1: oh yes i mean i had the most amazing film start i had kind of hard years before that, figuring it out. But then the second I got into the office of Hopkins, Smith and Barden, which is Billy Hopkins, Suzanne Smith, and Carrie Barden, um, I was all of a sudden, my desk was filled with the best movies of that time. Uh, And so it was a very fast learning experience because I worked for all of them. So it was my mind was was everywhere and on that one um i worked with billy hopkins um who was a long time lee daniels uh, casting director and uh one of my absolutely first mentors and friends um and so the best part about casting precious for me was because i was teetering um i was an associate uh you know almost casting director right there um in my career But the best part about it was that I got to not be in the office all day. And I would be in Harlem, sitting in cafeterias, observing kids, seeing if anybody seemed right for the movie. Um, And the search for Precious was long and hard because it's not, you know, every day that somebody like that walks into, you know, the office. So we did do some auditions, but we really did a big... Uh, actual street casting process uh, on the movie. So I love the freedom of not being bogged down by the paperwork and phones and avail checks and going out there and just sitting with human beings and thinking about who might be right for the movie. Um, And then uh, Gabby came in on an open call and at a community college because she was friends with the theater director. There's a lot of outreach of reaching out to all these theater teachers. I, it would not happen this way anymore. I think it was, you know, it's not as easy just to walk into schools right now. <laughs> um, so Gabby came in one of our last open calls after really not finding it. And it was like, it, I'll never forget it. It was, that was it, you know, it's like a joy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. if you hadn't walked in, I don't know what would have happened. Right. Obviously, what probably would have been somebody else, but I don't know if it would have been the movie.
0: Right. But I just remember that film tracking so big outside of like the indie circles. Like, it, was, it crossed over. It wasn't just an independent movie. It, it, it cut over to mainstream.
1: Yes. I know. And at the time, I was like, this is a really hard movie to take. I was yeah. like, will, will audiences, you know, be brave enough to experience this young woman's plight? And I wasn't sure when I read it if that was possible. Um, and so it went beyond my imagination there, what, what, what the movie did. And I'm forever grateful because it is, um, it definitely was a turning point in my early career um, to be associated with that movie.
0: For sure. Well, I want to, I mean, I, again, I know there's there's too many highlights to, to sort of hit in terms of the, the films we've listed off, but you've, you've talked and touched on a number of them. Are there projects? Yeah. You know, I'm curious about something like John Wick and projects that require basically the creation of i guess many of your films but that film as well you're really creating a world with those characters uh, and it's sort of this blended world between grounded in realism and and being fantasy and i'm curious about that process and i know that that you know and know a number of the producers on it that obviously it was a shocker hit for everyone the first one yeah. that it became what it became curious about that project and and the the guidance from producers and directors on how that was was put together.
1: You know, it's so funny because it's associated with being such a big franchise, Um, but when all of us at the start, you know, we had no studio behind it, just a a story, and they had piano, which is great, Um, but... So it was it was a challenging one because there's so many roles um, and they all had to be individual and international and um, interesting and it's like that first sort of like setup for all these characters, but you're not backed by Marvel. You're right. <laughs> you have to um consolidate Dates so that people only have to come in for a day or two. So you can pay them a certain amount of money, um, and so like you use like different tools to entice certain actors uh, to do it, and then also like relationships. Like Lawrence Fishburne, you know, did one for Piano, and you know like certain things that you just you pull on everything that you can um, to make it happen. And again, you never know. Like, this could have been just an action movie that went nowhere. But I think the creativity and um, the investment of something new, um, I think, really made it what it is, which was so exciting. Again, I had no idea. I didn't think anybody was going to be able to stomach Precious. I didn't know if anybody, you know, would really get into John Wick and, you know, you just do your best and use your creativity and you hope after that. And then there's so many other people involved and you know, especially the directors, DP, editing, um, all of that perfect magic has to all come together. And then also when things get released too, you know, like some of my favorite movies that I've worked on, um, not a lot of people have seen because of timing, because of the world, you know, like I had one more movie coming out called The Climb um that I love that went to Cannes. Um it's another little like I can't believe this movie went from it to going to Cannes. <laughs> and um, you know, it was supposed to be released um right around the start of, you know, the pandemic and so now it's on a indefinite hold.
0: <laughs> mm. Who was releasing that film oh, well, so, many, well so many pictures classic. yeah okay cool no i'll definitely check it out i love it yeah well i know we're we're coming up on time and i want to be respectful for you having thankfully carved out the, the time to chat i usually end these conversations with a, a question of saying looking back on knowing what you know now if however long into your career you are what advice do you sort of tell yourself when you're taking those crazy early jobs in New York, you know, scrapping them together and and piecing the early days together? What piece of advice would you give yourself, knowing now what you know?
1: I think, um, and this is also a testament to having a great business partner who helped helps remind me of this all the time. But really knowing what's worthy. Of all of your creativity, because when I do jump into something, I give it my all. So, you know, I think there were times, periods of time where, you know, you're, you're trying to grow a business. So you take things on, um, and it can just completely exhaust you. Um, so it's really about being judicious and figuring out what's worth, what's worth your time because you can't just experience your whole life working, you know, you need time to be a person, to live a regular life, to have dinner, to, you know, talk to your family. Um, And I think a lot of my like early time was kind of eaten up by just work. Um, So now I think uh, really knowing
0: what's worth it. It's great. It's kind of like the perfect piece of advice I know that I, I kind of needed today. We're, we're definitely in a head underwater week for whatever reason. It feels like the world's <laughs> kind of opening back up with the pandemic kind of you know, being uh, resisted a little bit with people wanting to start productions up again. So it's it definitely feels like one of those weeks where you want to take a breath and go have, go have dinner.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. And then even when you're, you know, even when you're having dinner, you're not really there when you're very, very busy. <laughs> Correct. It's figuring out how to time management to yourself. And be like, this is what I'm focusing on this. And then this is what I'm focusing on this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm very wise. Well, I, I, again, thank you so much for, for spending the time, Jessica. And, and appreciate it and hope we can uh, connect on another project.
1: Great. Yes. Yeah, so good to see you. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Greenlit, the Buffalo Eight Podcast. For financing questions, feel free to contact us at Bondit Media Capital at infobondit.us. At for production, development, and distribution questions, feel free to contact us at Buffalo Eight. Info at BuffaloEight.com. We'd love to hear from you and hope you continue listening to the podcast episodes ahead.